Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, welcome back to another uh, episode of Yolitics here. Jason, I want you to listen to something that we haven't done in a long time, all right? Okay, this sounds scary. Ah, I cracked one open. What is that? That's not a Dr. Pepper, I see. <laughs> you pour a terrible beer, that, by that the was way. Bad. Were you, ever, you, you were never a bartender, were you? I, I was trying to get it close to the microphone, and I got beer on my uh, on my shorts <laughs> and on my keypad here on my computer. And the head on that thing, I mean, is there anything drinkable in that glass? <laughs> Not much. It's like you're in Munich for Oktoberfest, man. You're supposed to lean it. Uh, what, are you, what are you having? I'm there? having uh, Tecate, man, from my days in Houston. The uh, Likes. Cerveza Original. And, uh, uh, and is there a lime the, going with that? The True Texans are using oh. Tajine, the uh, wow. classic season. Okay. I don't know if I'm pronouncing <laughs> it right, but I'm... Uh, yeah, it's too bad this is a podcast. You should be able to see this right here. It looks like a um, uh, pumpkin spice latte. Uh, but it's not a pumpkin spice latte. Not at all, You're my friend. Find that out. So, uh, so yeah, w- I cracked open. I already opened mine, uh, and uh, I, I grabbed the first thing in there, and it is a Rar and Sons Buffalo Butt. Nice. Is that a dark I don't beer? know if I've... I don't know. I've never had this. I, I don't even know why it's in my refrigerator. Who? I don't know who put it there. <laughs> Did your wife drink that or what? Maybe she does. I don't know. Wow. Uh, but we're going to give it a shot. You know, it's been a while uh, since we've cracked one open here on the show. The whole premise of this, uh, when we started out way back when last year, we're not even a year old yet. Wow. Um, but the whole premise was, you know, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk politics, we're going to have a beer, one beer with whoever we're talking to that week. And, you know, just hope that maybe that makes the conversation flow and go easy and uh and and that was the premise but boy we we stopped doing it because uh you know things got really heavy i have been really heavy for a, a while now because we've been focusing in so much on you know what's happening with the pandemic uh but today uh we are a little bit lighter and so here we are it, it is a lighter conversation today we are doing something uh, most of this month in coordination and cooperation with our to, uh, media partners in Texas, the Texas Tribune. So our guest today, Jason, is, is somebody that, that all Texans are going to know, especially after what happened in 2018. It's former Congressman Beto O'Rourke. And, you know, you and I talked to a lot of elected officials, a lot of people who have certain allegiances to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to different folks. But when you're not an elected official anymore, like Congressman O'Rourke, then you can say whatever's on your mind, and and he sure does that. This this he answered every question, didn't dodge anything like we are used to, like every political journalist is used to. And so we dialed him up just a couple of minutes ago, and uh, we we reach him inside his home, and the camera's just moving around all over the place as he's getting settled. Congressman, good to see you. You're in the kitchen, huh? I'm in the kitchen. Yeah, we uh, we just got our kids logged into their eighth, seventh, and fourth grade classes. We're in the 
third week of learning from home in the El Paso Independent School District. And uh, wow. things are going okay for a Tuesday morning. Well, I, I want to ask you, because you are still staying super busy with the uh, Democratic Party and, and the races across the state. Democrats in Texas, the Texas Democrats are fighting multiple fronts. They're fighting the Senate race. They're fighting the presidential race. And they're also really going after, quietly, I think, the uh, majority in the Texas House. Which one right now, 60 days out, looks to be the most realistic? The state house is the most exciting and will be the most impactful and also happens to be the most realistic. As you know, in 2018, Democrats picked up 12 seats in the state house, leaving us only nine seats down. But in 2018, I also happened to win more votes than did Ted Cruz in nine of those state house districts that we need to pick up hmm. this year. So, you know, by the math, not only can we do this, in some ways we've done this before. We've turned out enough Democratic voters to get the Democrat over the finish line as long as they vote down ballot. You add to that the extraordinary cast of candidates who are running this year. Um, some of them first-time candidates, some of them running for the second time after narrowly, narrowly losing in, in 2018. Uh, campaigns that are that are much better funded than they were two years ago. Um, with candidates who are running extraordinary grassroots voter contact operations, even though they cannot leave their homes in many cases and have to do this by phone and by text. And then our organization, Powered by People, has made over 25 million voter contact attempts in these competitive state house districts. So there, there's an entire statewide wide field program almost on the level of our 2018 Senate run, but focused on these state house candidates. And if they do well and expand the electorate, I think you have coattails in reverse. I think you shoot voters up ballot to that U.S. Senate race for MJ Hagar and potentially make Joe Biden the first Democrat since 1976 to win the Electoral College in Texas. Yeah, the polls have been close on that one, uh, surprisingly close for Texas anyway, the last several of them that we have seen. Uh, but we, we have seen uh, President Trump ahead in those polls for the last, I, I think, three uh, polls that have been taken. But it's by you know almost the margin of error there. Uh, you know, a lot of people say it's you know a fool's errand to chase after Texas uh, if you're a Democratic presidential nominee. What do you think about that? There have been so many times over the years that Democrats thought they could do it in Texas. Is this really the time? It's it's impossible until it happens. And um, and if ever there were a year, I really think it's this one. And, and remember, we lost to Ted Cruz by two and a half points, and that was in a midterm, which typically favors Republican turnout over Democratic turnout. Now you're in a presidential election cycle, which typically boosts Democratic performance in the midst of the worst recession since the Great Depression, which has hit Texas especially hard. More than 13,000 of our fellow Texans have lost their lives, I would argue, because of the very poor leadership and decisions that our Republican statewide government has made in addition to our president. And so the, the demand for change, the natural trajectory that Texas has been on, if, if Hillary lost the state by nine, I lost it by two and a half, we're now in another presidential election cycle. All signs indicate that this is possible. Not a slam dunk, um, not foreordained, but possible. And, and my theory of the case is that if we work hard enough on these state house races, and expand the electorate in each one of these state house districts, 
that adds enough net new voters to go up the ballot. Remember, more than 2 million of our fellow Texans have registered to vote just since the last presidential election cycle. Two million. I mean, that that sounds crazy even by Texas numbers. And we do everything bigger here. Um, you have those two million net new voters in a state that is that is rapidly diversifying and changing. And this is this is a brand new electorate that you're looking at. So the honest answer is it's anyone's guess, but but we know that it's possible. And I think this strategy of focusing on down ballot races and shooting those voters up ballot to the presidential is a very sound one. Let's talk about the Senate race this year. What you did in 2018 changed the way Democrats campaign in Texas and, and you know, the optimism you had and, and the uh, ability to energize that base was just really unprecedented here in the, in the past couple of decades. But I'm curious about MJ Hagar. Has she reached out to you for advice or have you called her up and said, uh, you might want to think about this or you might want to think about that? You know, I'm I'm loath to give anyone advice. Um, and I don't know that. Oh, come on. No. Come and, on. I, and I don't know that I'm the person anyone should be taking it from. But uh, I, I have reached out to MJ just to give her my unconditional support. And she's been kind enough to reach out to me from time to time. And, you know, my, my message to her, and it's not one she needed to hear because she was doing this already. And she did it in that extraordinary congressional race that she ran it got so close in 2018 my 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 counsel was go everywhere talk to everyone write nobody off take no one for granted and albeit it is much harder to do this now in the midst of covid where you can't really knock on doors you can't hold rallies or town hall meetings but there, there is an alternative path to get there and obviously it involves some of the technology that we're using today to, to zoom to connect um, you have it through social media, which increasingly is the most effective platform to to reach voters absent the ability to connect them, connect with them uh, in person. And, and I think she's she's taken that to heart and, and she is truly running a statewide campaign. For example, she just held an event virtually in El Paso uh, a few weeks ago and reached out to all the, the community and civic leaders uh, to, to encourage them to bring friends and family together. And one of the things that MJ told me afterwards is she said pre-COVID, pre-lockdown, you know, lockdown, at her events that people would physically come to, it was the, the already converted. It was preaching to the choir. When she holds these virtual town halls now, she's getting a lot of curious independents, perhaps some disaffected Republicans. In other words, she may be expanding the electorate that, that she can appeal to. So I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Who would have ever thought that there's an advantage to virtual campaigning? Right. Uh, while we're asking you about your phone calls that you make to other people, have you have you have you talked to the Biden campaign uh, about any strategy here in Texas? Because it, it you know, for it being as close as it is, and, you know, people keep talking about Texas being a battleground state, we didn't see Texas uh, represented much at the Democratic National Convention, and, 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 and maybe Democrats here might be wondering how much of a play is that campaign going to make for this state, or are they going to leave it to you and other organizers on the ground to try to do it? Yeah, to, to answer your question, yes, I've, I've been in touch with them, and I've been pleading the case for Texas and and doing so based on the numbers. I, I don't want them to make any decision or any investment that's not rational, not in the best interests of the Biden campaign and by extension the country. But but my case is this, you know, we talked earlier with Jason about 
how winnable Texas is by the numbers. And we looked at the performance in 2018, the 2 million new voters added since then, all of the voter contact work that, that we're doing with Powered by People. But in addition to that, the reason Texas for me is not a uh, wouldn't it be nice to win, but is instead a must win state is because I believe that Donald Trump, if Joe Biden wins this election by a close margin, will attempt to create chaos and confusion about the results and try to steal this election. And, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. You can take Donald Trump's word for it, you know, telling Chris Wallace on Fox News that he might not accept the results or slowing down the U.S. mails or encouraging his voters to vote twice and invites more accusations of fraud and then cast doubt on returns. The, the best answer to that, I really believe, is, is Texas. If for the first time in 44 years, this state goes for the Democratic nominee, goes for Joe Biden, the, the impact will be seismic. And Trump may or may not accept the results, but, but I believe the rest of the country will be forced to. And I think it forever reorders, or at least for the foreseeable future, the, the political or electoral landscape in the United States. It would, it would mark a major sea change in, in American public life. And, and I think it's one that we actually need if we're going to get past this era of Trump and Trumpism. So, you know, it, it's still, to be honest with you, Jason, it's still an open question as to the level that they're going to invest in Texas and how seriously they see their chances. I feel like my job and others of us working on this in Texas is to make the case through our actions and the voter contacts and voter registrations that we're able to produce. Congressman, some of our listeners here in Yellowtix might say, if Beto in 2018 with the massive crowds that he would always bring together and the swells of support he had, if Beto couldn't get over the top in 2018, uh, there's no Democrat on the ballot that, that energizes Texas Democrats like he did. So Democrats don't have a chance this year. What do you say to those people? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I, I think what what really happened in 2018 was was less the candidate, re- really less me, and more this movement so? that I got to be a part of. And you know, from from having covered it, these events where sometimes thousands of people would show up were organized by the community, and it, it was people standing up and taking ownership of the moment and putting those events on and registering voters and bringing people out. And, and I got to play a significant role for which I am, I am very grateful. But that infrastructure of, of volunteers, that network of different county chairs and, and leaders in, in these communities that were activated maybe for the first time in, in, in 2018, that's all still there and, and really stronger than ever. You know, I mentioned making these 25 million voter contact attempts in the state of Texas. And in addition, we've registered a little over 77,000 net new Voters, all of that work has been done by volunteers, almost all of whom were volunteers on our 2018 campaign. So though I'm not a candidate and, and though we don't have an, an official campaign or, or platform, we are all very much still engaged supporting all these really great candidates who, who are out there. So um, I, I think that magic is, is very much alive in Texas right now. And obviously we'll know for sure on, on the night of November 3rd or whenever the votes are tallied, but from the, the calls we're making and the responses that we're getting, I'm very optimistic. 
you know, you're not a candidate this time around, and, and I'm curious, do you think that you might ever be a candidate uh, for something again? Uh, just the other day, it, there's no love lost between you and, and Senator John Cornyn, uh, but just the other day, he referred to you as Texas' least favorite politician. Uh, <laughs> what do you say to that, and, and do you have some future ambitions that you'd like to make some news with us here on Yalitics with? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, John Cornyn may be right, I, you know, in terms of uh, you know, when you poll uh, the people who are most known in, in Texas, I, I may be down at the at the bottom. So I don't I don't know candidly. I don't know if if there is a future for me in public service or or an elected office or, or running to try to to serve in in elected office. And I've got to tell you, um, you know, I, I ran full time for Congress in, in 2011 and 2012 and, and won an upset victory against the incumbent here in El Paso. And then for six years was traveling to Washington, D.C. every single week and traveling back home every single weekend. And then spent two years traveling the state of Texas, running for Senate, and a year on the national campaign trail. This literally is the most time I've ever spent with my wife and, and our three kids in, in, our, in our marriage, or really in our kids' lives. And it's wonderful. And I, I feel so fortunate to be here with them right now. And I love El Paso and I love being a part of this community. And I really love being a volunteer. I love supporting these great candidates who are getting out there, busting their tail, trying to get elected and do something good for Texas. So if, if this is the, the level of my involvement going forward, I, I am very happy with that. If something else, you know, if there's an opportunity that, um, you know, I think I could, do a good job in or, or serve the state or the country in, uh, you know, I'll, I'll look at that as well, but I'm, I'm really enjoying life right now. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. So um, I, I don't know about running for anything again. But you're not ruling out any cabinet positions potentially down the road. No, I'm not, I'm not ruling anything out. I've, I've learned that, right? I've learned that lesson. Just you, you can never say never. Um, and, and you can never be too certain about what the future will hold. But if, if all of us do, everything that we need to do, you know, to, to paraphrase Teddy Roosevelt, do what you can with what you have, where you are. If we all do that in service of a, a big victory on November 3rd, then, uh, you know, then I think we look at, at what's possible after that. But I think we've got to stay focused on that, on that near-term goal of, of winning this election in Texas. What cabinet position would you like? <laughs> I don't think I would like one, to be honest. First, first of all, I don't think I'd be asked um, and, and, uh, second of all, I, I don't, I don't know that I, I would want to pursue, uh, service in, in the federal government. I, I really, you know, I wouldn't have run for president if I had initially thought that Biden was going to be, um, you know, the best nominee for our party and the best president yeah. for our country. But since then I've, I've really come to admire him and to see that he does an extraordinary job of including leadership from other people. So I, I bet, he will put together a pretty dynamic cabinet that will serve this country well. Well, I, I do want to ask about your presidential run. It, it was exactly one year ago this month, this coming week, actually, in that Democratic debate when you said uh, after the El Paso shooting there at the Walmart, uh, hell yes, we're going to take away your guns. Looking back now, a year later, Congressman, was that a turning point in the campaign? No, I, I think that I think that what happened in El Paso um, 23 people murdered by someone who legally bought a, an AK-47 variant, a, a weapon designed for use on a battlefield whose high-impact, high-velocity round just 
just smashes your body and, and rips up everything inside of you. So you bleed to death. And, and 23 people did yeah. just that. Uh, it, it helped me to understand that whatever was politically safe or convenient to talk about in the conversation around guns no longer applied. As long as everyday Americans can buy one of these weapons of war, each one of them is a potential instrument of terror. And, and specifically, the white nationalist terrorism that has so defined the threat that we see here in the United States of America. And I, I understand that is not a universally popular position to hold, even amongst the Democratic Party and even amongst those organizations that are working on gun safety. Do, but, do you regret saying it, though? No, not at all, because it's the truth. And and I think in, in public life and in, in a democracy, you, you must place a premium on calling things by their right name. Uh, you must speak the truth. And if that uh, spikes your chances in, in the election, if, if it happens not to poll well, well, well so be it. Um, you, you've got to live with yourself after this. And you've got to be able to look your kids in the eye. And when they ask, when all this was going on, after El Paso just happened, what did you do? And what did you say? And how did you account for yourself? And so, um, no, I'm, 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 uh, I still feel that way, actually. I still very strongly feel that no one should own an, an AR-15, AK-47 assault weapon, weapon of war, because they were designed not to hunt, not for self-defense or, or protection. They were designed to kill people, and, and they are just devastatingly effective at doing that. It sounds like you're a guy with no regrets. No, I don't, I don't really have any regrets. And look, I can look back and say, man, I really screwed this up or that up, or I wish, you know, I'd, I'd been more thoughtful about this thing or the other. But um, I, I am the luckiest human being on the planet in, first and foremost, my family. And then the fact that I've had a chance to serve in public office and run for public office with these amazing volunteers who supported me. So, no, I don't regret it. And I just, I just hope that I can have earned it by the end of my life, the, the support that I received, the, the chances that I got, um, I, you know, I, I want to make sure that I've earned that. And, and I feel or I hope that part of the work I'm doing now by just being a full time volunteer for these candidates in campaigns is, is part of the process of, of earning all that goodwill um, that I've received over the over the years. Congressman, 60 second lightning round here in our final moments. Last time yes, you sir. ate at Whataburger, when was it? Uh, six months ago, I, I, Jason, I, th- this may, uh, damn or spike any political future I have in Texas. <laughs> I stopped eating meat six months ago oh, and it may have wow, something to do with you. the fact that for two years traveling Texas, I ate Whataburger 10 times a week. So I'm, my body's detoxing right now. Is that when you were in Dallas with the vice president, uh, when you guys left? Yeah, that, that probably was the last Whataburger I ate. Absolutely. Wow. When's the last time you were on a skateboard? That was my next question. The last time you were on a skateboard. That, that's the last uh, question. When is it? Probably yesterday. Uh, we, we've got two skateboards in the house. My kids love to ride. And so we'll go out and, and ride in the, in the street in Sunset Heights in our neighborhood. Huh. You know rollerblading is really where it's at, though, right? <laughs> it's it. I got to get some in. <laughs> that, that, that's, yeah, that, that's what Jason thinks, at least, is, is rollerblading is where it's at. Congressman, uh, thank you for the time. It's always great to talk to you, and we appreciate you uh, taking time for us in politics here. Absolutely. I love the conversation. Thank you for inviting me. So skateboarding, Jason, that was my second question. 
in the in the lightning round there. Uh, I'm, hey, I'm surprised he's not going to Whataburger anymore. I am too. Uh, and you know, you can get options there. I mean, you can get the burger without the patty. Well, <laughs> when I lived in St. Louis uh, in the '90s, I uh, used to go to a place called White Castle. It's a oh, place yeah. that has little tiny hamburgers. Yeah, and I would go there after work all the time uh, when I worked for a TV station up there, and that—that's where I got this. Can you? See? I'm glad our, our listeners can't see this, but it's my like this turkey neck I've been trying to get rid of for the last twenty. Your years. White Castle Since neck, then. absolutely, man. It's where I stored my White Castles for years. I think that's great. But you know, uh, in all seriousness, though, Beto delivered some pretty powerful stuff here. He thinks that yeah. the most realistic opportunity for Texas Democrats is the Texas House, winning a majority in the Texas House. Yeah, um, I, I and that's what he's been pouring a lot of his focus uh, onto uh, here in recent months as they've been registering a lot of voters with his PAC here in uh, Texas. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of taken by how, uh, you know, it's hard to be candid, especially when you have this arch nemesis of yours, that being John Cornyn for him, uh, Senator John Cornyn, uh, saying not very positive things about Beto O'Rourke. It's hard to give any credence when your arch nemesis is saying bad things about you. I was surprised that he said, maybe John Cornyn's right. Maybe I am the least favorite uh, politician in Texas. I did not expect that. Uh, again, usually you get a lot more spin from people who have been you know, high up and involved in the political world. You don't usually hear something like that. And it doesn't sound like I don't think he really believes that he's the least favorite politician in Texas. Otherwise, he wouldn't be spearheading these efforts to register voters and still keep you know, trying to get out the vote and staying active in politics. Uh, but I also get the sense that if he is the least favorite politician in Texas, he doesn't care anymore and there is a freedom in not caring oh. there is a great freedom in not caring you just heard it from the conversation there i mean he yeah. <laughs> just every, everything he answered um fascinating about running for office uh mm-hmm. or a position in the biden administration um of course yeah. he's downplaying in anything um but it, the bigger thing there i think was about running for office he's not sure if he would want to run for office and think about that, right. he ran for Congress from El Paso. Then he had this massive statewide campaign that got national attention. And then he runs for president. He, he's had a, mm-hmm. a fast political trajectory over the last decade here to, to hang all yeah. that up was was quite interesting to hear him say. Well, I think he's learning the uh, fantasticness of being at home and actually seeing your wife and enjoying your kids, too. You know, yeah. uh, th- that's one of those things that grounds you in life. But, of course, he did not slam that door shut on uh, serving in a Biden administration should uh, the Biden ticket pull this off come November. Uh, he, by the way, uh, I think it is September the 28th. When uh, Beto O'Rourke is, yeah, Monday, September 28th, when he is going to be speaking uh, in uh, for Trib Fest. If you haven't ever been to the Texas Tribune Festival, this is something they do every year. They've been doing it for uh, about, I think it's a decade now. Uh, and they bring in everybody. I mean, who's who? Uh, politics, culture, society, you name it. Uh, and they have all of these different conversations. And it's, you know, a lot like the conversation we just had with Beto O'Rourke, where it's very candid and it can be, you know, pretty uh, far ranging. Uh, so he's going to be speaking on the 28th for Trib Fest. And uh, what I like about it this year, they've had to go virtual this time, Jason. But I think that opens this up to the masses, because if you get on the Texas Tribune's website and look up Trib Fest, you can actually get into a 
a lot of these discussions, a lot of these discussion rooms for free. Hmm. Uh, and this is with huge names uh, in, in our country here. So I think it's really going to open it up to, to a lot of people. Yeah, of course, Congressman O'Rourke is just one name, one participant of, of many high profile people from across the country who will be participating uh, in TribFest. The Texas Tribune is one of our media partners Uh, And we are partnering with them on that. But for our listeners on the right who uh, listen through Beto O'Rourke, we're also going to have a uh, guest from the right next week. We're working with the Texas Tribune to uh, to select somebody uh, from there as well, too. We'll have a little balance on that. These are laid back conversations. Uh, I'll try to have a uh, Texas beer next time, Jason, as well. Hey, that's what I'm doing today. Again, it is the Raw and Sons Buffalo Butt, and it's pretty good. I've never had one before, but this is good. Drinking that Buffalo Butt. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.